You are listening to the Sickleton Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Supported by RCF. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection is the driving force behind designing professional audio products and creating unique experiences for venues around the globe. The HDL 50A 4K, the latest large format active three-way line array system, is no exception. Learn more at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. For the most comfortable headphones that you can wear all day, check out the Audix Pro Studio range starting at just $99. Find out more at audixusa.com. Allen and Heath has asked us to read this. If the speed of sound is 346 meters per second in air, 540 meters per second in neon, and 1,533 meters per second in seawater, can I get through this episode faster while listening to a neon sign while surfing? I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be I I... Hi everybody, welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm Hannah, guest hosting today, here with Chris and Kyle, who you probably know pretty well by now. How you doing, guys? How's it going? Cool. Um, Kyle, Kyle, where any are you housekeeping at? things? Oh yeah, we we have two big housekeepings. Cool. Um, first and foremost, Michael's book. We're gonna beat that dead horse. Um, uh, Between the lines, concepts in sound system design and alignment. Uh, there's like a description. I, the way I would describe this book, and we're going to do a whole episode about the book um, with Michael, uh, probably when he gets off tour. Um, it, it's the closest you can get to being mentored by Michael without doing it in physical form with him, is, is the way I would describe this book. And I think there are things in here for everyone from beginners to people who've been doing this for, you know, forever. So I. I that's the short synopsis I'll give. Uh, most of you probably heard about it by now. A lot of you have bought it. You all been posting pictures in Discord and Facebook that you've received it. Um, and one of the things that I like, and we'll talk about this when we um, get to it, is um, uh, he has quotes at the end of every chapter. Uh, and one of my favorites is the one right after chapter one. It says, imagine you have a high-spirited five-year-old following you around as you work. They will ask why about everything. Would you be able to answer them? So, and that kind of sums up the book, right? Have an answer for why you do everything you do. So, anyway, enough about that. Uh, CFX, uh, Michael, Kyle, and I will be there October 25, 26. I think I really should have this in front of me when I say this, but it's at the end of October. It's in Dallas. Come see us. Come, we're going to do a loudspeaker shootout, or sorry, I can't say shootout demo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Zero shooting. um anyway that's our housekeeping kyle who do we uh who do we have today oh are you kidding me the guy who got rid of my leg cramps in like one shot of hot sauce um there it is which has sparred a bunch of other questions about fitness and being on the road and (laughs) a a well-rounded guest just home from the beach from the islands, um, Robert Scoville has joined us tonight from his home here in Arizona. So we're glad to have him back again for sure. 
Yeah, fantastic to be here, fellas. You know, fantastic to be above ground, breathing, and uh, you know, st- still doing what we love. Uh, well, you, you just about uh, well, that too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's go with the obvious. Um, you know, you just did a massive stadium tour at Kenny Chesney. Um, yeah. What was it like? What was that experience like? Post pandemic, because was that that's the first tour you did post pandemic? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, I hadn't done any touring. I mean, full on touring since Petty passed okay. away in, in 2017. So, uh, you know, it was it was really fascinating. I mean, if you were really paying attention uh, and you know to everything that was going on out there, I, f- I found it really fascinating because, um, you know, I think it was so. Uh, I don't want to say confusing, but it just felt new for the audience, you know? Mm. I, I mean, I was watching them at the first show, and even just like when they're milling in to the building, et cetera, I mean, it was palpable. You got this sense of they're not quite sure what to do. You know, like they're not mm-hmm. they're not back yet. Like they don't remember <laughs> what this is yet, you know? And and aside from the whole concept of, you know, people still being sensitive to the, you know, the six foot spacing and the the mask and all the things. I mean, that was still clearly on everybody's mind there. Cause mm-hmm. you know, when we started, I mean, the pandemic was still kind of raging, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't it's calmed down by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, you, there was just this sense of just kind of this uneasiness to it. And I honestly, I, with all the shows we did, I don't think the crowds really started feeling quote unquote normal again until easily, a month into it, month maybe a month and a half, even two hmm. into it, where we started getting crowds where I was going, okay, yeah, they they remember now. They got it. Okay, we're good. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's not like they didn't have any energy during the show, but it was the, all the in-between times, you know, where they were just milling about and hanging. They just weren't quite sure <laughs> what to do. <laughs> it was really fascinating so, to watch. 2022 to 2017 is a nice break in I kind of did the same thing from touring, you know, I did some piece work here and there throughout those years as well, but this is my first tour back and I'm starting to realize a lot of things about myself now that are completely different. Uh, What did you realize about yourself in touring coming back after that long hiatus from actually doing the thing? Well, I mean, one thing I realized for sure, and I, I kind of saw this on my on the last Petty Tour that I did, but I, I saw it really uh, kind of really come right into focus on this particular tour. And this is going to sound so weird to say this, but it's interesting being, you know, I haven't done this for now for 42 years, you know, and just kind of watching myself, kind of stepping out of myself and watching myself do this now. It's like, I, you know, I realize what maturity can do for this gig. Like, cause you know, like my patience, my discernment, just my ability to, to stay calm and troubleshoot and do all these things is way better now than it's ever been in my life. Like my ability to really step back and listen to something. And as somebody, you know, I said to somebody not long ago, they were asking me what, like one of, what's one of the, the big skills that you think you've learned in your life. And I said, it was the ability to listen while hearing or hear while <laughs> listening either one, you know, be able to kind of do two things at the same time from an audio perspective, you know, that takes a lot of years to develop that skill. And I, I felt like I did a really, really good job with that. Now I, I, I 
I, I can handle that really, really well now. So, you know, just things like that. And, and you know, it was kind of driven into focus a little bit because we had three opening acts uh, on the Chesney thing. I mean, it's almost like a festival day, every stadium day. Uh, and they're sizable opening acts. They're not throwaways by any stretch of the imagination. And it was, you know, three younger engineers. And I, you know, I, I, I mean, I hope they're not listening to this. Well, maybe, maybe I do hope they're listening <laughs> to it. But it was, I, I really kind of studied them and I was really watching them, watching their approach, you know, just trying to get a hold of kind of their sensibilities about sound and about approach to mixing and things. It was really, really interesting to watch that. And, you know, there was a couple of times where I was thinking, okay, that's kind of, you know, I remember when I used to do that, that's kind of a young mistake there, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, just interesting little tidbits like that. And, you know, just watching volume and watching, you know, just spectral balance and things and thinking, yeah, you know, that's, that's youth right there. That's, that's happening right in front of me here, you know? So it was interesting to watch all that and kind of, you know, kind of take it all in and, and judge it against what you do. I, I don't think we have any choice doing that as audio engineers. You know, it's just kind of born into no. us. Yes, absolutely. Did they, did they ask you for feedback or advice or thoughts and constructive criticism? How did that, how did those conversations? Yeah, they come? all seemed pretty open to it. And, and I was too, you know, I mean, I mean, not, not for nothing. I mean, I was getting my feet wet again, you know, mixing live after, you know, three or four years, even though I've been doing live shows, hadn't been touring. Uh, but you know, I mean, I mean, the funny part was we had a meeting on the front of house riser the first day and, you know, the, the guys from old dominion were there and, you know, and I said, look guys, you've probably heard more Kenny Chesney shows than I have at this point, you know, cause I haven't heard of one and this will be my first one today. Uh, so, you know, it, it took me a while as I think it would anybody, but it took me a while, you know, new PA system, new band, really kind of, I don't want to say a new genre of music for me, but you know, one I hadn't mixed in quite a while, uh, which kind of turned out to be weird anyway because kenny's not really country i mean that's that's a freaking rock show if i ever saw one so but it, you know it takes a while to get into it and really understand all the cues not just musical cues but just all the audio cues about you know pa tuning and all the other stuff a lot of variables for me right at the very front of this tour and i, I i'm not ashamed to say i mean it took me probably a good i mean two months of shows before i felt like okay i i got my hands really, really firmly wrapped around this. Now I'm, I really know what I'm doing and feel really firmly in control of this show. You know, I mean, we had great sounding shows right out of the gate with it, but it kind of stepped up next level. I think real, really when we got to Pittsburgh, that was a, that was kind of a watershed show for me. And then maybe Chicago, that's where I felt like, okay, I got this. Let's go. I'm going to assume you still can't hear me. Oh, we got you, Michael. Oh, you can hear me now? I hear you oh, now. Oh, yay. He's well, in. Hello, <laughs> hey, Ladies Robert, and gentlemen, you, Michael Lawrence. <laughs> Hi, Michael. <laughs> How are I, you, uh, Welcome to I'm the show, Michael. I'm in uh, in Virginia. We're loading in for the Blue Ridge Rock Fest right now. Um, nice. being eaten by mosquitoes and waiting for my front of house stuff to show up. Uh, uh, so I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but Robert, something you just said, it really jives with something I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, this idea of like zooming in or increasing granularity, you know, like you'll do a throw and go in a bar when you're 20 and be like, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, that sounded pretty good for, for walking up to this. And then you get to the point where you're carrying a console or at least you have a show file and then you're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to go a little more granular and I'm going to try to, you know, really put a little more sauce in a lead vocal. And then it's like, all right, so as you gain familiarity and you do the same show more and more times, and then you're like, let me really dig into these toms and get the, so you kind of go deeper down in, in the, in the levels of the onion skin, right? And work on these other things. So it's just, it was a kind of interesting realization that I had 
Um, now that I'm doing a little more mixing myself, where there's there's different levels of quote sounds good, right? There's like sounds good for the first show, and then there's like sounds good for something I've had two weeks of rehearsal, and 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 yeah. so it, it's kind of a spectrum, I guess. Well, you know, this actually kind of goes into another topic that I had a, a fairly lengthy conversation with another engineer about this. It wasn't on the tour, but it was previous to the tour where we, you know, I kind of posed the question. I said, can you have a good mix and not have it sound good and vice versa? Can you have a really good sounding show that's really <laughs> poorly mixed? <laughs> and of course you can, right? I mean, the answer is yes to both of those things. So like even there where you're talking about granularity of digging in on vocal processing or digging, you know, when I, at this point in my life, when I'm thinking about granularity on the show, right? I'm almost always thinking about granularity in terms of fader moves. Like, can I catch every fader move that I need to catch in a show? I, I mean, I'm, I'll just give you my take on this. I am not a person who believes by any stretch of the imagination for a live show that the goal should be to get it up to a place where you can just walk away from the console and leave the faders alone. I, I don't believe that for a second and ne have never bought into that. The show needs to be mixed. You need to mix the show. And there's times where you're going to get sounds. There's times where you're going to deal with system tuning. And then there's times to mix the show where you got to be focused on every cue that's coming. And I think, yeah, again, part of maturity as a mixer is starting to understand, you know, I can't just push the, the vocal up to zero and just leave it alone. You know, that's not how it's going to work here. I've got to start learning all the nuance of that guy's phrasing and how to do this. And same thing with the guitar parts. You know, I, I mean, in this situation, I have three guitar players. So it's like learning the nuance of that and when to feature each one of those players at any given moment. It might only be a three note phrase in the second verse that needs to be featured, but I don't want to just sit and let it go by. You know, those are things that need to be heard. And it takes, I mean, a lot of reps to really, really get that. You know, all the other parts of it, the processing and all that kind of stuff, that's, I don't want to say it's a given, but you know, I can get to that point pretty quickly, especially in the digital age. I can get to that pretty quickly because I work from a template for every act I do now. So, so much of that is baked in, even if I was going to walk up, well, if I was going to walk up and spin one up, different deal, walk up with a show file, you know, it's It's going to have a lot of that baked into it before I start, you know, and that's kind of what I was getting at where I say it takes, you know, weeks of time to get that where you just like, Every song that's coming, it's like, okay, I know what's coming. It's just this little grid of moves that where you think, okay, there's the guitar. Oh, oh here's an organ feature in the third verse. I, you know, just all of those kind of things that you have to learn and be able to kind of feel those musicians and predict it as it's coming. I had a, uh, a conducting professor in college, and he said, you have to know the music, capital K, capital M. And I, years later, I'm still realizing what he meant by that, you know, because the first show it was like, okay, Oh, make sure you get the guitar solo when it comes by, you know, like knowing right. the music. And then, you know, as you become more comfortable with the material, then it's just like, oh, I really want to accent the hi-hat on this one little fill that he always does here. So you start to just bring out the subtleties of it in a way that yeah. you can't do on your first time through because it's just kind of making sure you hit all no, the major moves, you know? Yeah, you're thinking much, much uh, larger chunks of the pie, you know, when you're just kind of getting right, it together. Right. And I mean, I, a lot of rehearsal was like that, was like that for me, you know, where you're making mic choices, you're making position choices, all these things. You're not really totally in tune with mixing at that point. You're just getting it together so that you can mix it. 
you know, but yeah, I mean, the, the idea of it being a conductor is very accurate, you know, cause I mean, if you've ever recorded orchestra or worked with conductors, I mean, they know the piece note for note and know every piece that every player is going to play mm-hmm. and will conduct it into position, especially if you're recording it, you got a great conductor. You're going to look like a great recording engineer. That's the amazing part of it. But it's very, very similar here where you just kind of have to know what everybody is doing at any given time in the song if you want to blend it and feature it and focus it. If not, it's just going to be this kind of static thing that's just going to sit and kind of go, yeah, I could kind of hear everything. But I mean, you know, another example of that nuance, I, I kind of picked up that on the, uh, picked it up on this tour, but I, I also know it from doing three guitars with Petty. You know, as you start to learn the timing of musicians, if you're watching them, Right, because like at the at the top of the show, we have this thing. It's called KCDC, which the band kind of goes into a, a version of "Shoot to Thrill" by ACDC, and it's this big rotational trade-off of solos between three players. Right, and I mean it's to the bar. I mean you got to be on it to get every note of the solo. And asked, what I started to realize after watching him was, you know, as the one guitar player is playing rhythm and he's getting ready to play a solo. If you're watching him, he'll slide up and get into position to start playing the solo. And that's the time you can make the fader move, right? As opposed to wait until he starts the solo and you kind of might miss the very first bend or the very first note. You know, you, you have time. You just got to kind of get into their rhythm of moving on the neck. And, it, you know, once you get it, man, it's just like those solos just seamlessly come in and out of there. You know, every eight bars, whatever they're doing, you know. So that's an, that's an example of detail work that I would talk about where it's like, if you can get that detail work where you can anticipate that fader move now, as opposed to moving right on the one, it's going to sound more natural. It's going to sound better. It's going to sound better. (laughs) I'm I'm at the other end of the snake on this tour and I'm just getting to a point now where I'm chasing. So it's one of those things where you learn where your members are going to walk to on stage and Coolly enough, I have all conventional wedges and side fills and no ears, so it's old school chase. Yeah. So knowing the songs and knowing the practice, this the, the show keeps getting better and better. Like, yeah. um, and you're right when you walk in and you don't know the music or you're not familiar about where they're going to be on stage when certain things happen. You know, it's kind of a crapshoot. But after those first few weeks, it's like um, the, the devil's in the details. And you it is totally it that. Your, it's totally that. Your your performer's face too. Like I can tell it now yeah. when something is hit and not hit because I'm sitting there looking at the monitor world. I'm super enjoying it. Yeah. Like I, I yeah. never thought I'd be mis- mixing Sammy Hager or Jason Bonham, but like now I know <laughs> the nuances and I can make them smile. You know, which is yeah. cool. It's yeah. It's a kind of a matter of being proactive as opposed to reactive. You know, if you're reactive to the music, you're going to be late. You're going to be late. You got to wait for something to happen and react to it. Whereas if you can beat it to the punch, you know, if you can beat the move, then, then you're on top of it. You know, if you know all the places, you know, so it's, it's a challenge, but you know, if you're paying attention and you want to be that person, then you can be that. And the show suffers all the benefits from it. If you can do that, if you can get in front of it, you know, it's really cool. How much, how much of that studying and, and thoughts is physical notes or is it all headspace? Or how do you, how do you approach all that? You know, I, I'll tell you how I approach it. And it's just repeated listening. You know, I, and you know, this is going to play into Kyle's question about fitness probably, but part of my routine every day, every day is 
on my workout in the morning, I'm listening to last night's mixes. Wow. Okay. Every day. So, you know, I print them every night stuff up. And when I'm doing my thing, I'm listening. So, you know, you're building into like, Oh, Nope. I'm late there. Nope. Late there. Nope. Got to get, yeah. Nope. Too loud there. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, you're just going through it song by song as you're working out. And after a while, all of those, you start remembering those things when you're sitting at the console going, Oh no, here it comes. I remember this now, you know? And after, you know, for me, like I said, it took about a third of the tour, I think to get to the point where it was just, automatic every night I, I knew where they were coming and where they were going you know and nice thing about that is once you have that kind of auto, you know automatic aspect to your mixing where you can anticipate it quickly if things change you're ready for it you know you're not you don't mm. get overwhelmed by it you can kind of see it coming going okay hang on a minute we they're going to do that now okay okay i got this you know well, speaking of your workout routine, uh, for those who don't know, uh, can you talk about how you 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 stay healthy on the road um, in these in these stadiums? Well, I mean, it's something, that, and I I I will always preface this by saying, look, I'm not here to preach about this. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to tell you you got to do this, etc. This I'll is my thing. This is what works for me. <laughs> I've been doing it about uh, 12 years now, 12, 13 years when I started really digging into like long, you know, endurance events, things like that. But the thing I noticed uh, about it, and this kind of goes to another thing. I was talking to somebody else about this the other day where, you know, after being into it for a very short amount of time, what I started to realize was that when you are doing extreme physical things, right? that you're building mental toughness, not physical toughness. Like I, I, I'm of the mindset that there is no such thing as physical toughness. It doesn't exist. There is only mental toughness. And what you're building is that by doing this, by really, really challenging yourself physically is really what you're doing is saying, how far can I go mentally here? How calm can I stay mentally Therapy. while all this is going on? Right, right. So, you know, and the more you do that, I, I, it goes back to one of my favorite sayings, and I, I, I would use this with a lot of young people and anybody kind of getting into this. You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hmm. You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because there are going to be times where you are going to be really uncomfortable. And if you can remain calm and focused and understand the next step and what, you know, the goal of where we're going, you're going to, you're going to get it. But if you get panicky, you get winded, you get worried, oh, I can't finish, blah, 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 you're going to go down. You know, So this whole physical, everybody sees it as a physical routine. It's not a physical routine for me. It's totally mental. It's the way I set myself mentally for the day. It's I've told people this before, and it's true. It's my breakfast. It's just as important as my breakfast to me. If I don't get that thing in where I kind of got to go to this place mentally, I, I'm not as good. And what it's, what it's really born into me over time is the ability to be persistent, the ability to, to totally eliminate the idea of quitting in my mind or giving up on something, you know, all of those kind of things, all that kind of persistence, discipline, dedication, all these really boring terms that we didn't want to have to deal <laughs> with at all when we were growing our hair and getting into rock music. But I know for my job, man, it's made, it has made a world of difference in my approach and my results. I'll just say that without question. Yep. When, when I, did I, you, I think that, and, not, not other things. I'll preach for you oh. too. 
because <laughs> I notice my difference now. And I've mentioned it on, yeah. on the podcast before, like my stability, my demeanor, my ability to troubleshoot, just like you started this podcast off is all different now because of the therapy I put myself yeah. through and, and playing indoor soccer, working out, pushing my body to the limit at this age. Like I feel, yeah. I feel complete and it's, it's like, I'm still chasing the dragon as well. So I'm trying to push myself to failure a lot. And, uh, it helps me out here. It really does. And, yeah. and it's funny because there are the folks on tour that never would lift a weight or never would do a push up or would never run. And they kind of look down on you for you being out in the stands. Oh, dude, you wouldn't believe the things that are said grass. to me when I'm working out in the stadium. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I, you know, you, and again, you just kind of have to let that shit roll off your back. You know, it's like, I don't give a Oh, it rolls off anything. even easier. You know, now. like, you're like union guys going, Who's the Nancy over there doing yoga? I mean, you know, they're, they're like that guy. You know, I'm like, you know, okay, come on over. Let's let's match up some push-ups there, big fella. You know, I'll I'll throw down for you. you know, yeah. Let's go. I'll race anybody. <laughs> you know, you want to talk I'll shit? Let's race go. anybody. <laughs> yeah, what, it's, um, it's uh it's uh, you know, although I will say this about it, and I you know, I'll try to make this clarification on it because it took me a long time to learn this. And and I'm gonna take issue with something you said right at the top of this segment, you know, about you know ways of staying healthy out here. Mm. I very early on, I confused fitness with health. Mm. They're not the same thing. You can't conflate them. It's, you know, similar kind of mindset. You can be fit and be really unhealthy. And likewise, you can be really healthy and be completely unfit. They're, those are two different, very different things. And, you know, this whole concept and, and you know, our whole industry or the whole world is eaten alive by this whole concept of the way you lose weight is to exercise. It's complete bullshit. It is not true. I, I mean, there's a saying I, I've used it with a couple of people that I love and, and my, you know, my, the coaches I've had luckily over the past 10 or 12 years have, have really borne this into me is that strength is built in the gym. Bodies are built in the kitchen. You've got to eat right. You got to eat right. If you think you're going to exercise enough to offset a poor diet, you are dreaming. It's not going to happen. Get over it. You got the two things got to be in support of each other. So if I was going to say anything that's changed in my lifestyle and my life over the past 10 years of touring is I eat way different on the road than I ever did. And that, that probably has made as much a difference as anything for me. Sure. No more late night pizza for me. Although I'll tell you on Kenny Chesney. That was hard because they don't do late night pizza. They do late night barbecue trucks. Oh, like you man. might have a truck show up at 1230 at night that they'll just pay for it. And I mean, here you are, you know, you're sitting on the bus thinking, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And 20 <laughs> minutes later, you're eating brisket and cornbread at, you know, 1230 in the morning. It's like, oh my God, kill me now, you know, but it's so <laughs> I, I good. It's like, it I'm not turning that down, man. I justify it with protein intake. I'll be like, oh, you can keep the, the cornbread. I'll eat all the brisket right now and go to bed. <laughs> it's so bad. I, my for shit you, was though. weak, man. It I was weak. Works. I'm just going to say it. I was weak. I failed. <laughs> but you just got to take it's hard it. You know, to do it out just, here, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I love in, being in the, in the vein. In, tech on, I, go. Oh, I have a tech on the store There's and. I still like to be here when the truck doors open and the truck doors close. 
and you know he's 20 years younger than me and and i feel good that i can just keep up and keep doing the thing and <laughs> i i, I I, I find it weird, you know, when the backline guys roll in and the, the house guy rolls in like two to three hours later and I'm already set up and ready to do line check. It's crazy. Like it's invigorating. It really is. Like it makes me wake up on time. It makes me go to sleep on time. It makes me think about what I put in my mouth a lot more. And like you said, yeah. the mental clarity, this is for, this is for mental health, not physical health. The physical aspect it of it is, it is fun is. to look at, but, um, the mental health has like helped me tenfold. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I, lo- yeah, I love I mean, the, the last, too. The last aspect of it that you know, people that want to do it with me, I try to get across to them is that there's also two elements of kind of fitness, right? Don't conflate fitness with training, right? You might have to go through a fitness program to get ready to train for some sort of event. You know, like yeah, like if you're going to do it, if you're going to do Ironman. Like you've got to go through a fitness program to get ready to start the training. Mm. Like you can't just jump out of bed and start training for an Ironman. That's not how it works. Your body is never going to survive it. You've got to get your body ready to train. And uh, like on Chesney this year, that's what I kind of use the tour for. I, and I love, it's part of why I love doing stadiums because it's the best gym on the planet, man. I mean, you can do some great, great stuff there. So, you know, I, w- I really just tried to maintain my fitness level and, maybe even move it up a little bit to get ready to train some train for some events this fall. So really it was all about stairs. Like I did tons of stair routines and then body weight strength training. So, you know, it would be like up and down the stairs once and then 10 pushups or 15 pushups and a hold and just do the entire stadium like that, you know, and it takes, you know, take an hour, hour and a half to do that. But man, that's a workout. I mean, that, that will do you. That will absolutely do you. Well, tying into the fitness and we've talked about mental health, I'm curious what's around this off. We've talked a lot recently about work-life balance. So you've had a long career so far. How has that been for you? How have you managed that through the years? I'd love to tell you I had a great plan for it, (laughs) but I just kind of have kind of taken it as I go. I, I mean, I think I naturally gravitate toward balance in those sort of things. I mean, I was very fortunate. I mean, I'm very fortunate, just, just the understatement of the world, you know, to meet my spouse, you know, while I was touring. So, you know, that, that was kind of a nice thing in that, you know, she kind of, she was in her own side of the entertainment business. You know, she was a, uh, a dancer, you know, she worked in ballet and, you know, kind of the, the, um, the other side of that world, not the rock world at all. So she, you know, inherently understood very early on that, you know, on, you know, it's not all fun and games out here. This is actually work out here. Even though, you know, I might call her from the bus or something. It sounds like you're having a party. We are having a party, but we were working really hard today, I promise. But, you know, it, it kind of took away that, that doubt that can creep in from your spouse when, when you're apart to say, you know, uh, you know, are we growing apart? You know, that kind of thing. And, and we kind of, we were smart enough, lucky enough to be smart enough, I guess, very early on to kind of gravitate toward this idea of, well, if we're going to be apart for more than three weeks, you have to come out like we've just got to get together. And I don't mean this necessarily from the aspect of sex or any of that, but you have to share the same air and rebond a little bit. Uh, Even if it's just a matter of two or three days, three weeks was the cutoff for us. It's just cost of doing business, get on a plane, come out, hang, then go back home. You know, now obviously that got a little tougher to do when we had kids, you know, once our kids got to school age, 
that kind of went away for a while and we had to find other ways to really, really stay there. But, you know, just feeling for me, just feeling connected to my family unit and staying balanced physically and mentally on the road, I, I can do that. And even my wife has said to me, you're better when you're on the road. You're, you're better when you're on the road than you are when you're at home. Cause I've, you know, I've gone down the other Avenue of, you know, taking the corporate job and, you know, I, I kind of toyed around at one point with, you know, just doing the corporate thing full time and not touring. And, you know, I just, at some point I just went, I just am built different here. You know, I I'm built to do that lifestyle and it's not for everybody. I mean, it's definitely not for everybody, but I I'm okay with traveling for a living. I, I just have no problem doing it. I mean, I'm an only kid, so that's part of it. I, I have no problem really entertaining myself. So me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of on that, that note, um, I'm on kind of on the other side of this at the moment. I'm kind of the one at home and my boyfriend's the one on tour. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's really new to both of us and it's been interesting to try to find sort of that balance. Um, I'm curious how all of you, um, but Robert, you specifically, how, um, like coming back home after tour goes for you. <laughs> well, you want me to go there or you guys want to take a shot that, at that one? <laughs> Either way, anyone that wants to you go first. dive in. All right. So it, it's actually really challenging. I'm going to tell you this. And, uh, you know, if me and my wife ever had any real challenges with it, that was what it was because, you know, you have, especially in the late eighties and early nineties, when I was touring a lot, man, I mean, I was gone a lot. What we, and we did some kind of self-analysis of this and realized what was happening. And we really noticed it with our kids once we had our kids is that we noticed that when I was home, like we just never, ever allowed conflict to come into play. Like we don't have time for conflict. We have to be loving and be around each other and do everything together. There's no time for arguments, right? Because you're going to be gone again. And so I don't want, I don't want to waste any time with us having disagreements and arguments. And what we started to realize was what we were teaching our kids was we weren't teaching them how to resolve conflict in any way, shape or form because they never Mm. saw it. They never saw us have a conflict. (laughs) So they, they, they were terrible at conflict resolution as well. So, you know, after a period of time, we started to realize, okay, we, we've got to be real with each other when we're home. We can't put on a good face, even if we're not feeling good, you got to be able to share it and really, really be open and honest with each other about it, you know? And, I'll say in the early days of that, when we were kind of doing that three week routine, it was less of an issue. But if we had to kind of go longer without seeing each other, it became more of an issue because when you were home, it's like, Hey, this is money time right now. We got to have a good time together and, and, you know, do all the positive aspects of it. Not really realizing that you can have conflicts and have that be a positive aspect of it as well. You know? Hmm. So that, that was, that was the one thing. And it was really noticeable once I, I think it was around, I don't remember what year it was now where I, decided to skip a couple of tours and stay home mm. like constantly, you know, we had to kind of learn how to live together in the house, you know, cause the bags were actually unpacked and they weren't going to be packed for a while. Now <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said this somebody before I can remember mornings, right. Of waking up and looking across the pillow and having her look at me. And I mean, I could read her eyes and she was just like, Oh my God, he is still here. 
<laughs> you know, I'm going to have to deal with this guy all day long, you know? <laughs> so it was an adjustment on both of us, part, uh, both of our parts to kind of get used to being around each other all the time, you know, then it, then it was different, you know, but yeah. I, I got to say now, I mean, here we are, we just celebrated, you know, 35 years together the other day. And hey. I, I mean, I feel like our relationship is as Congrats. strong. <laughs> as it's ever been, you know, we're as close and tidy now as we've ever been. So yeah, it's it, awesome. It's funny on our episode with recent episode with Paul and Courtney Clemson, they said the exact same thing. We had to, when, when they were home, they had to learn how to be with each other. I know yeah. I've, ex- I've expressed this um, to answer your question, Hannah, in, in our, some of our recent episodes, our zoom call that we did uh, is my biggest issue is um, checking out when I get home or realizing that, um, um, it's going to take some time to mentally disconnect, right? So I, I would say when your boyfriend does come home, it's just have respect and space. It's probably going to take a minute for him to decompress yeah. and actually and get back into a normal routine. Um, and I, I think it's hard for a lot of us to recognize um, whether your spouse or partner or whatever um, uh you know, everyone has different levels of chemical imbalances or balances or, or, or whatever. Um, and recognizing that there are times where you have to give space and recognize that that's you know, not, not, that it's not the real person, but like there's, there's something else there that's clouding what mm-hmm. it, it could be or it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I know the question was inspired from, from some of the previous episodes that I've listened to about it um, for sure. So, yeah. I know even so, when I was coming off the road while I was touring, you know, and Mary Jo was pretty, pretty adept at picking this up. She picked it up before I did where we would go through certain hours of the day. And she was like, Oh, you're getting ready for sound check right now. I understand. Hmm. Oh no, it's, you're getting ready for doors to open right now. Okay. I, I get why you're acting like this, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. She, Cause you know, just you're so programmed with it, you know, like, you, you know, if you fall asleep on the couch, you, you know, you're going to wake up at, you know, 30 minutes before showtime and, get ready and also all that stuff's programmed in carla has said some of the best stuff we've been together for 12 years and you know the stepkids are out now actually one's coming to the show tonight so it's really cool but um the one thing that she said post covid is she goes i want to miss you again and i think Mm. that was a good time for us to do this thing and being more mature I think is a huge thing is maturity with the age and the time it grows. You, you, you learn the nuances of what to say and what not to be completely honest, <laughs> you know, be completely honest with each other. When your dude comes home and you think he's acting weird to you, just say, Hey, is it me? Do you need some time? You know, like, or just be completely honest. Like if there's nothing wrong with asking the question in the moment, if you hold it in, it's just going to barrel up and a bunch of things are going to start vomiting out when you don't want them to and uh that that's that's why i think i mean she even asked me going from se now back to mixing again she's like why aren't you mixing anymore and i was like well i wanted to learn this new thing and they wanted me to se and i it's more tools from my bag and she goes but are you happy and i was like <laughs> at the end of the day she knows me better than me sometimes and uh I got to respect that too. So when I come home, um, I can disconnect because I know that she knows. <laughs> Amen, brother. That's and spot that on it, there. And it makes it more comfortable for me and her together. Like, like you said, uh, sometimes when you came home from long things, she said that she wanted to put some kind of 
generator device underneath the bed so I could sleep down there with the dogs because <laughs> me being in the bed with her was odd at some points. So both sides of this thing are different challenges to deal with. And I love hearing your boundaries and her boundaries. I love hearing both sides of the boundaries because it makes it a lot easier to work within them. And uh, I'll admit, yesterday, I even posted on Facebook that I was a little homesick, you know? Um, and it was, I found things that were comforting to me, and I even told her that, too. And she's from here. She graduated high school from Phoenix, so me being in Phoenix, where she was from, made her a little bit jealous and a little bit, you know, sick to her stomach because this is where her friends and family and everything she knows is at. And uh, I just had to be really... I was. I felt bad for her. It was like I wanted her here with me. But I love what you said about the three-week rule. I think that's something that I'll definitely implement going forward is three weeks, you're flying out. It's a business expense. Um, yeah. Because I need yeah. that, too. Not only does she need that, but I need that, too. Uh, I, I'm the same way now. And I've said this to her a couple of times. It's like, I'm not very good when I'm away from you now, you know, for any extended period of time, you know, because especially... You know, after Petty ended and then the pandemic, I mean, we, you know, we got, you know, we're just in each other's space all the time. And it's like, you know, just mentally, I mean, during the workday, I'm fine. The minute I step foot into that hotel room and, you know, the solace is there, I'm not as good. I'm just mentally not as good when she's not around me. I mean, it's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's just a function of being around each other for so long now, you know. I mean, I, you know, there was a period of time I, I, I was going to recount this, you know, where, you know, you, you talk about, you know, knowing each other's body language and everything. I mean, I had an incident in the eighties, late eighties, where I went through a physical exhaustion, physical and mental exhaustion, and probably was pretty close to a break and not realized it, you know, cause I, you know, this was obviously pre TSA and all that kind of stuff. You know, this is, you know, I was coming back from mixing a video project long, really grueling grueling video project right at the end of the Def Leppard tour this Syria tour and I was exhausted I, I've never been that exhausted in my life but I had to go right from that right to mixing Tesla uh, you know they were going out and kind of doing some co-headlining stuff with Poison so I flew into I think it was Philadelphia and I was going to meet her there I was like okay I'm coming out of Holland I've been there you know just let's just meet up in Philly you can stick with us through production rehearsals etc and so I walk off the plane She's at the gate. I walked right past her oh, and she didn't recognize me. And we kind of had this moment of, whoa, I mean, hang on here. You know, I mean, I, I honestly, no exaggeration. I probably lost 15 pounds, huge black circles under my eyes. I mean, I was, I was spent. I didn't have anything left. And she kind of said to me, she goes, okay, we need to go to the hospital and just make sure you're okay here. This, this is not right right now. This is, this is not you right now. And sure enough, I mean, I, I was, I checked into the hospital for a couple of days and they got me calmed down and, you know, I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. I mean, I, I mean, I was so, so out of whack, but if, you know, I mean, if, if she's not there to see me and kind of do that, I mean, if I would just go right back into those rehearsals, who knows how this turns out? I mean, you don't mm. know, you know, at the time you don't know, you know, you're just thinking yeah. I got to get to work. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think it's a big thing out there right now. I, I mean, I've got a couple of friends 
pretty close mixer guys that are friends with me that I'm a little concerned about right now, just mentally where they're at. I, uh, we, it's easy to kind of blow this whole thing off, but man, people are not right right now. I mean, they're not right. I know. Yeah. That's, that's why we, I mean, we've, we've spent quite a few episodes recently kind of talking about this and, um, you know, gotten Paul and Courtney Clemson involved with the roadie clinic and, and yeah. things like that, because it's, yeah, it's, it needs to be talked about. And we, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say we've had a lot of like positive feedback and people like thinking of like, you know, how it's made them check on things. Um, you know, I, I've been having maybe every other week calls with Paul myself as kind of a, of a therapy, you know, type of thing. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to talk about, um, but I, I feel like the more we do as an industry, we can recognize that um, uh, like it's okay. You know, it's it's actually very healthy to have you know a therapist and someone to talk to. You know, it's the therapist isn't there for when shit is falling apart. You know, yeah. it's it needs to be part of the of the routine and life. You know, to 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 carry through. Well, it's, it's all part of that health quotient, right? That we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, being healthy and fit, being healthy is also about being mentally healthy, right? You know, and you know, it, I mean, I, I don't tell you guys. You guys have been around this long enough to know this, because I've been around people on tour that are not mentally great, and it's people can't add the two things together and go, how's that possible? You know, you're, mm. you're traveling with a hundred people or whatever. How can you get isolated out there? Oh, there's plenty of ways to get isolated on tour. Trust me. Mentally and emotionally isolated. Oh my goodness. That's a breeding ground for it out there. You know, where I, you just I become this it. work person. And then the person you really are is never around, you know, unless you're maybe at the bar or you're in the hotel. I called it disconnect because sometimes you forget about bills. You forget about people that you're supposed to call. You forget about, and that's when the isolation starts and you like have to be like, no, hang on. I have other life that I need to take care of. (laughs) I can't just, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Mary Jo's had a good one with that. You know, when I come home in the early days, I would come home and she goes, by the way, the maid will not be stopping by today. (laughs) Right. And there is no catering. Where's today, my day by the sheet? Way. Where's my day sheet? <laughs> Where's my day sheet? Right? What are we doing today? <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's perfect. Uh, so you, you've done a lot of to change gears here a little bit um, because we could probably stay here all night in this topic, which is you know uh, it's all good. Um, you've done a lot of teaching now through your career. Yeah. When when did you first realize either a you wanted to teach? Um, and what have you learned about yourself through teaching? You know, I think teaching has always been part of my DNA and it was kind of, I mean, it was kind of taught into me by my mentors, you know, by the really, really early mentors uh, that I had. And it, it kind of, you know, I mean, this is going to sound corny and fluffy. I I hope it doesn't come across that way, (laughs) but you know, when I was working the very first sound company that I was working for, they were and this is, you know, 1979, 1980, but they were really, really good about building their customer base with teaching. Like their, their take on it was, look, you can come through the door and I can sell you something. And I've had a customer for a day. You come in and I teach you something about the the way to use these sort of things. I'm going to have a customer for life, Hmm. you know? So they, they was constantly in play there. They were always doing seminars. They were always teaching. And, through that, 
you know, being kind of the young guy in the thing, you, you just learned so much that you probably wouldn't have learned organically. And you learned it in a really, really good way. One of the things that was really born into me there, because they wouldn't allow it to be any other way there, was if you're going to teach it, you actually have to know it. I mean, you better know it. Like you, be, and you know, who were you talking about the whole thing of why, right? You better understand the why right. better than you understand the how. You know, anybody can teach you how to do this, but you, to understand the why, that really means you got a deep understanding of it. So, you know, kind of fast forward that into the years when I started teaching, which was in the mid nineties, I think is when I really started putting together a lot of teaching stuff that was attractive to me because I knew intrinsically, I knew my personality well enough to know that I wasn't going to stand in, in front of somebody and teach something that I couldn't back up, hmm. that I, that I couldn't explain why we're doing this. Right. Not just a matter of, well, this is what, you know, so-and-so hotshot recording guy does. So that's what I do. That ain't good enough for me. Sorry. That's not good enough. I want to know why you're doing it, you know? And I want, I, I, and when I've caught myself doing it in the past, it's like, okay, why am I doing this again? Okay. Let's really understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Okay. And, th and then once you do that, it becomes, honestly, it becomes easier to explain because if you can explain it to yourself in 12 words or less, you can certainly explain it to somebody else, you know? Amazing. I, you know what? I, I, I kind of have a, like an idea, a thought here, right? I think uh, in terms, you know, people like to to shit on audio schools, right? So, um, I, I, but I, I have maybe a way to uh, to circumvent that. So, all right, as you know, in order to teach something, uh, or uh, you, if you have to know how to do it, right? Or, 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 or sorry, you you learn how much you know about something when you have to teach it. There you go. That's what I'm. There you uh, go. Trying, That's a great trying, way trying to get it right. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe part of being an audio school is you should have to then teach maybe the next. Um, uh, semester or class of people coming in under you or whatever, right? And so like that, you can be graded on because it, it would force you to have to really know something by having to teach someone else. And so it's not like you come back later and teach it, but like, no, 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 while you're in school, you have to actually, t and and, and, and I we can remove this from audio school, right? I think just maybe a good life lesson would be like, at some point you should force yourself to actually teach someone and, and will show you how much you do or don't know about about that thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's, there's an element of truth to that. I think there's, uh, there's, there's a basis of truth to that, but the thing I would put that with that is just because you can do doesn't mean you can teach. Fair. fair. Right. True. I mean, sure. it, it, you know, it, it takes skill to be a teacher without sure. question. And, you know, again, I, I think I kind of came across this organically. I, and I, I'll always credit my mentors with me who were outstanding teachers. I mean, they were just incredible teachers. Uh, but I kind of lost my train of thought there. I was going to, where I was going to go with it. Um, give me a second. I'll reboot. <laughs> I think it what was I going to say? It was really poignant. I got, I'm going to tell you. What's that? Oh, it just, the, like you said, personality. And I think the ability to like, cause even when I think of my teachers, when I was in school, the personality was always my favorite teacher, you know? Um, yeah. I had math teachers that were super dull, but then I had some that were awesome and, and they made the learning a lot more pointed to, do you think the stories that they tell are, are the stories that we tell helpful for the kids just as much as the schools? Uh, I think maybe, but I, you know, I'll, I'll 
kind of counterpoint that and just say, not the problem with it is not everybody learns the same way. You know, some people learn from words. Some people learn better from pictures, some, you know, all of those things. So I, I know when I've done seminars and stuff, certainly big mixing seminars, you know, that first little bit of time and it is not, there's not a whole lot of teaching going on. I'm trying to kind of examine the class and see what kind of people I got sitting <laughs> in front of me, you know, what level they're at, you know, and it's one of the things that I think, you know, schools certainly have the biggest problem with it, but certainly the churches have a huge problem with this because they rely on volunteer and, you know, I'm going to, I'm, okay, I'm going to equate it to something with fitness. All right. You know, are you in good enough shape to actually start training? Right. So it's a mm. similar thing in this world because, you know, audio is a, is a dark art for sure. It's very mysterious, very abstract. So there has to be a level of proficiency before you can start learning how to do the job. Like you've got to be proficient, at least in the language and some concepts before you can start teaching this to somebody, you know, and man, it's just out there in the world of, I could teach anybody to mix a show. Well, no, no, you can't, you know, I mean, sure. I can teach them to paint by numbers here, but that's not proficiency. That's not proficiency in any way, shape or form, you know? And, you know, if I had one overarching criticism of the schools, and I'm going to preface this by saying, I think on whole, the schools are doing a great job. I'm pro school. All right. Uh, Some are doing it better than others, for sure. I'm definitely pro school. But here's where I think they miss it at times. And and this started to really kind of show its head a little bit with the the digital era of consoles and, and technology where you get into schools and they're, they're not teaching concept. They're teaching operation. They're teaching you how to operate the console. And it's like, look, the turnaround time for consoles is pretty small now, you know, the, uh, where they become obsolete. If you come out of here, just knowing how to operate the console, but not knowing why I want to do things certain ways, you haven't gotten very far, Yep. you know? So, you know, one of the things I've been, at least the, the people that will listen to me, <laughs> so the people that, you know, the schools that are teaching music mixing right now, I'm going to narrow the focus of this really down to music mixing here for a second. The, the schools that are teaching music mixing, I've been just harping on them. Look, if you're going to teach music mixing, it can't, it can't just be routing and how to get signal going out of the console, right? You've got to teach music sensibility here. You got to, and you even got to teach music production sensibility here. Because there are reasons that certain sounds work with certain styles of music. There are reasons that certain tone shapes and certain spectral shapes work with certain styles of music. There are reasons that certain dynamic ranges and certain dynamic profiles work with specific styles of music. So what does that mean? You've got to understand the music. You've got to understand the music. You've got to understand the music and the reason it was produced and recorded the way it was. They do it for a reason. It's not just happenstance mm-hmm. that three-part jazz sounds this way and Van Halen records sound this way. That's not just by accident. <laughs> there, it's, there's, there's design behind it, and it has nothing to do with console routing and processing. Right? These are music sensibilities. This is music you know, appreciation. You have to have an appreciation for the different styles of music and the ways they're produced. And that is not being taught at all in any of these schools. Now, I don't know whether it's they're uncomfortable teaching it, which may very well be. But, you know, if you go to a music school, 
That's what they're going to teach you. And I mean, I'm going to stand by this. I, I, I started to question this a little bit in the digital era, but I'm going to stand by it because I definitely stood by this in analog was you give me a musician who knows music and a person who knows the console inside out, but knows nothing about music. I'm going to tell you which one's going to get the better result when they step up to the console. And it's the musician because they listen differently. They listen, listen with a completely different sensibility. Now, it may take him a little longer to get things going on the console, but the end sonic result is going to be better by the musician. I think that that really comes down to something that Michael says a lot, which is like, ask yourself why, just like the five-year-old thing in his book, like, right. why are you making that decision? What What is the reason? Um, it all just kind of comes down to that. If you don't have a reason for it, then you definitely have more to learn before you should be you should be making that decision. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to lean into that. I'll, I'll agree with that. I like the concept idea, too, that you mentioned. It, it, it's like not being able to walk up to any console just because you learned that console at school or you learned that console at church. Like, if you know the basics of how it works, you can walk up just about to any desk. It might take you a little longer, but the concept is still the same, you know? Yeah. And you're right. They, I mean, they might spend too much time on the routing and how to work the desk. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a challenge in the digital era. I mean, in the analog era, that was, I mean, that, that mentality could totally be in play 100%. I could go learn how to mix and how to generally operate a Mackie inline console and walk from there right into an SX, SSL 4000E and probably be able to do something quickly. Right. Maybe not, not to the nth degree, but you know, the, 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 con the operational concept was similar. That's not necessarily the case in digital. Obviously, there are similar situations in all digital, but there's a lot of differences as well. I mean, I, I mean, console to console is very challenging. I mean, I'm going through it right now. I, I'm prepping right now uh, to mix my first event ever on Lao consoles. And so, you know, I'm having to dig in on all the operational videos and all the manuals and stuff. And I, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, hope that maybe, maybe you should hold off the releasing this until after the event, but <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to be real sketchy at first. I mean, I'm not going to be great at first, you know, it's just going to be slow and sluggish and stuff like that. But it, you know, it takes time. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta dig a in a little bit now to really get comfortable with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you saying? I was going to ask a question about that. Are you mixing a broadcast thing? Yeah. Obviously, Lava. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Question's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everybody will get to hear how bad I am for the first, you know, the first day. That'll be good. It's like, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe the why question you ask at that point is, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this for a living? I should not be doing this for a living. I think we've all asked that at least once in our lives. <laughs> yeah. We've only had a handful of broadcast uh, guys on our show, and it's just been so intriguing. I don't know what it is, but they want to be music mixers, and we all have this broadcast tickle as well. It's weird. Yeah. We've talked about it well, before. I mean, I'm, I mean, I've lived in both worlds. I mean, I've lived in the studio world and I've lived in the live world all my life. So, and you know, I have a lot of common lanes in both of my approaches in, in those places. So it translates well to broadcast. As long as I can get around the operational aspects of the console, it's like, I know what I want to do. Just how do I do that here? Okay. <laughs> how do I, how do, how do I route? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Someone else patch it for me. Yeah, yeah. You patch it, I'll just push the faders. Uh, if you could, if you could pick any band, any speaker system, any console, Oof. how would you pair those three? And whether you've worked with them already in the past or not. Okay, well, I'll say this one. Uh, yeah, and this is true because you know I've always said in my career, getting to mix Rush was the gold. That was the brass ring for me. Yeah, like I just I I still pinch myself sometimes thinking I got to mix that band. But that said. I would have given anything, anything to mix that band on digital and online source. Anything. Interesting. I, I just feel like I would have absolutely crushed all right, that. Well, all right. Well, then hold on. This is, it brings up a good thing. I, was, I wasn't going to go here, but I'll go here. Yeah, all go right. Here. So, uh, you know, the, the, the analog resurgence, if you will, Yes. Um, um, how, in your opinion, how much of it is nostalgia versus is there truly something that you just can't quite get on digital that we can that we go analog? Where does where does that fall for you? It, it, um, yeah, I'm going to get myself in so much trouble right now. <laughs> I mean, my, my and, and email for, box is loading up right now, and, and, just look, we, waiting for me to answer. Like, the people we, are sitting at their typewriters <laughs> waiting right now to start typing and start snarking at me about this. All right, all here it comes. We're all, in, we're all entitled to our opinions. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're all sound people. We all have all different opinions. But it, it's, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you the thing I'm really struggling with right now is that there seems to be just this innate sense out there that you are invalidated <laughs> as an audio pro if you don't believe analog is way better than digital. It's just out there. I mean, and people feel like they have to wear it on their sleeves and they're scared to death to say anything other than that. And so much of it, I, I'm sorry, but so much of it is just romanticism run amok. And I, and I, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to play my age card here a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been around this since way before computers, you know, I mean, I, I stepped up to my first mixing console, analog mixing console, probably in 1979 as a professional. So, you know, there were no digital anythings at that point. And, you know, the other big confusing part of it, I, and I see this even with manufacturers all the time is stating a, an analog sound. It's got the <laughs> analog sound. You know, there is so much depth involved in what creates the analog sound. It's not one thing. You know, it's not the tape. It's not the mic. It's not the pre. It's not the transformer. It's some magical combination of all those things that give us an analog sound, right? Now, all of that said, it's all a one-trick pony. And I've, I've been mixing long enough to go to be able to go back to some of those consoles and kind of go, oh, wow, that really wasn't what I was expecting here. You know, I mean, I thought I remembered it way better than it actually was. And I, I remember this happening, you know, and part of it is, you know, I've, I've grown so accustomed to the flexibility and the, the nimbleness of digital now. I mean, I, I feel like the sound quality is just not the issue. I'm sorry. It's just not the issue for me. I feel like. I've said it, and I'm going to stand behind it. I can make digital sound more analog than analog sounds. <laughs> but you got to know how to do it. 
I mean, you got to know the paths to do that. And it ain't just one plug-in or one thing. It's a series of things that have to happen in order to make something believable toward analog. And, you know, part of the challenge we have with this, I'm telling you, you know, because we, we talk about this all the time, or I hear it all the time, you know, oh, that, you know, analog sounds way better than digital. Well, by what measure? By what measure? Because if we look at it scientifically, if we look at it scientifically in the cold heart of science, digital measures way better than analog at, uh, at almost every stop, right? So why don't mm-hmm. we like it better? Because we've been programmed to listen to analog for the last 70 years. And all of those things that we saw as errors and flaws that we wanted to get rid of are, are actually part of a sonic signature that we're used to. And we, and we kind of want to go back to that. And I totally get that. And I totally buy into it. I want to create some of those sonic signatures in the digital domain. But I'll tell you this. I, I mean, give me a great sounding analog console and give me one of today's modern digital consoles. I will mix a better show on the digital console. Not even close. Analog's not even close. Now, if, if we're talking about re- mixing three-piece rock band, guitar, bass, and drums, you know, can I do that on analog? Absolutely, I could do that on analog. No question about it. But from the system drive out, man, I'll take digital any day of the week. And, you know, just some of the routing capabilities, maybe I should try to give some examples of this. You know, just the <laughs> grouping and the remote, con- you know, the VCA control, et cetera, on the thing, to be able to do it uh, across a large number of channels. I, I mean, I'll take digital every day of the week on that. I mean, over the past few years, I, I mean, it really mixing broadcast and even mixing some of these award show events has really taught me not only can I not do this in analog, but the shows now are being created around the capabilities of a digital console. Sure. You know, these shows are, are moving at a pace and working in a way that they are totally reliant on you being able to manage 14 acts in 60 minutes you know, mm-hmm. with a digital console. Right. So I, I look, I get it. We're, we all want to go back to the glory days of that. <laughs> but I, you know, I come back, I keep, I, I like, I heard somebody the other day going on about, they wanted to go back to the old speaker systems and stuff. I'm like, you guys are out of your minds. You didn't mix enough shows <laughs> on those speaker systems. Clearly not enough. Because, you know, I mean, sound quality of, and being able to, to distribute audio in a large space now at a really high quality has never been better. That part of it has never, ever been better. We're doing that better than we've ever done it before. So, you know, I think it's a lot of romance. I know I'm going to get a lot of heat about this, but I'm going to stick to it. I mean, I'll say, I'll say this out on Chesney. I don't think I could have got it sounding that good with analog. Hmm. And I couldn't have mixed the show as well as I did with analog. Would I like to be map mixing on a Neve? Sure. Why wouldn't a guy? <laughs> but I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff around around the console that has to take place as well, you know? Sure. So. All right, Kyle. All right, that's, my, that's my diatribe. No, no, no. That's amazing. Let the emails roll. I'm ready. It. Bring it on. Kyle, you, I know you're probably running short on time. Do you have a, one last uh, question to throw in here? Oh, man. I just want to say thanks for coming on the show again because, like, <laughs> we got almost into the fitness stuff last time. We went over baseball <laughs> stuff. We went over some other things. But I, you had me thinking. And I was in Phoenix, and when I was like, "Dude, I'm gonna be there." So I just want to thank you for what you do. You're awesome. Like, it's thank cool you, Kyle. to have you back on the show. Thank you. 
Thank you, man. Hey, I'm going to pay you a compliment too. Actually, by another person. But you know, I was talking to Les Banks not long ago, uh, and you guys were in the Ryman. Were you in with that show? Uh, was I? No, I wasn't actually. Uh, okay, well, I'll Kyle. look. Just take the compliment and run with it. Uh, he he said Sammy came in and played with his band at the at the Ryman, and he said he could not believe the amount of live transducers on stage, meaning speakers on stage. Oh, yeah. And he, he said he was really apprehensive and he thought, Oh boy, the Ryman just is not suited for this kind of thing. And he said, they absolutely crushed it. Said it was one of the best sounding things he's ever heard come into the Ryman. And, you know, and it was kind of loud chicken foot thing, you know I mean? It was cool. So I, you know, if you were part of it, congratulations, if not, Oh, no, I, I just love being part of the group right now. Like to see a 74 year old man and go out there and put on that show and Michael Anthony playing bass, like yeah. Dick Johnson and Jason Bonham, like I, I'm all on conventional wedges and it's so yeah, much fun. Yeah. It is. I'm having a blast. It's great. Well, you know, it, Sammy it, is an outlier, man. I mean, that guy, I, I just am freaked out when I see that guy. I mean, I was a huge Sammy fan anyway. I grew up in St. Louis, so he was just second coming of God there for so many years. Do you hear that, <laughs> right. listeners? St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, <laughs> home of winners. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're a football team. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just amazed when I go hear him not only just play, but his singing is still so good. I'm like, how are you so doing good. that at 74, brother? Holy cow. It's incredible. It's this is my first tour in, in a while. And like, I'm, I'm really excited to be here and with this group of guys, everyone's yeah. adults. Like everyone has great stories. Like it's a, uh, it's a good time. Thank you for coming on the show though. I mean, I wish uh, we could do this all the time. Shoot. Just make it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, just call me up. We don't have to videotape it or anything. We can That's just, right. chat, you know, it's I'm cool. Into that too. I, I have workout questions. Those, the shot for the cramps worked last time. So, <laughs> yeah, that's magic sauce there, man. I mean, that's that's kind of a cool thing. So, so Robert, we I, I typically have a closing question um, that I ask, but I you know I like to ask a little bit differently of, of some people. Um, the, the typical question is, hey, if you could define your legacy, you know, or how you want to be known, how would you define that, right? Um, but let's let's be real for a minute, right? You are one of the most well-known mixers of our industry. Um, you, one of the most decorated from awards of every freaking category there is, um, and all that stuff. Um, teacher, a, dad. a teacher, like all, all the things, saying. right? So what, I, I mean, yes, you can answer that. Cause I mean, other people will probably describe what they think your legacy is or whatever, but, um, what two, two things though, like, what does it, what does it mean for you, um, to look back on all of that or just what you've been able to accomplish and do and, and, and the impact you've had on the industry? Um, what, what does that look like for you? Well, I, I mean, I would definitely say it's not up to me to dictate my legacy. That, that's going to be done by other people when I'm done. So, I, I mean, I won't even, won't even go there with you. <laughs> but that said, I think very early on in my career, um, very early on, even in the earliest days where I was thinking about getting into this and doing it, I, I was able to separate these two mindsets of being successful or being significant, right? 
anybody can be successful, right? I mean, that's just a succession of, of achievement over time and time and time. But I definitely had some drive in me where I, I thought, okay, I, I want to be significant in this industry. I want to be able to contribute something in a really real way. And I, I had kind of a come to Jesus moment about midway through my career where I was really on the fence of whether I wanted to go into record production full-time or live sound. And it was also at a time when the, when the record industry was really flipping around upside down and stuff and was really unstable and really unsure about what was going to happen with it. And I just remember having this moment of, well, which place do you think you could be the most significant? Hmm. And, you know, I, I think as a producer, I probably would have been a very average producer. I, mean, I think I could have been successful at it. I think I could have mixed a lot of records. I, I, I know I have the skill to do that. But I didn't feel like I was going to be significant there. But I could kind of see it coming where I just thought, you know what? I got something to offer to the live sound industry here. I, I, I you know, I can see what, where the industry is right now. And I think I can kind of shape how people see this and how people do this job. You know, because there were a lot of things that were very questionable going on in, in you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, where I thought, are we sure this is, we're sure this is what we want to <laughs> do here. You know, there were parts of it that started to not make sense. And especially after some of the measurement technology and everything started getting out, that was kind of confirming some things that I was thinking about, you know, the way we were arraying speakers, et cetera. I was like, wow, okay, this, we need to, we need to really have a sec, sit down and have a second look at this. So Long, you know, long answer for a short story there, you know, really, I, I just wanted to find a way to be significant. And I felt like teaching and certainly some of the other approaches that I was bringing to mixing could do that. So, How have you managed, because um, I would say you're humble for what you have done. And for someone who, I, I imagine you would say for someone don't confuse wanting to be significant with ego or have you had to ever no. balance no. that at all or would you did you always have that in check um, oh my, my goodness my, my father gave me the phrase to balance that absolutely and i i've carried it in my pocket every day and that is there are two types of people in the world <laughs> those those that are humble and those that are about to be so <laughs> you know yeah, I always keep that in my pocket. It's like, you know, as soon as things are going really, really good, it's just like, okay, just stay in the moment. Let it happen. <laughs> as, you know, athletes say, don't start smelling yourself too early here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stay, just stay grounded. This can all come crashing down in a heartbeat here. So be cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yes, thank you. Um, you know, Kyle and Michael have had the chance to talk to you before, so that was you know mine and Hannah's chance. So I'm appreciative of it. Uh, well, so uh, yeah, thank you so much for the invite in. I, you know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, hard to get me to shut up sometimes. So you know, <laughs> I can make a good podcast guest. I guess you know he won't shut up. We're we're actually an hour forty minutes in now. Okay, somebody pull the plug. <laughs> Only 115. Right. I think we're okay. <laughs> we're okay, good. good. <laughs> <laughs>